the theme, or I don't really title my sermon, so the, the theme or the main point of the sermon this morning is simply going to be that God's Word does not return void. Uh, or if you want to put that another way, God's Word will always do its work. The Word is always accomplishing something, and that something is namely what God intends for it to accomplish. So God's Word does not return void. Let's start with our scripture reading from Isaiah 55. We'll start in verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on him. And to our God for He will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. I do pray that each and every one of us is truly humbled at the opportunity to be here gathered with the saints this morning. With your word open before us, Lord, I pray that we do not take this for granted. I pray that we do not overlook what a great gift this is. A gift of mercy and grace that you have not only saved us, but you allow us to meet together as the brethren to be edified and equipped for the work of the ministry. God, I pray that your spirit would minister to our hearts this morning through your word. And as is the key, the main point of this sermon, we know that your word does not return void. And so, God, we pray that your will would be done this morning during our time together. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin, that you would purify us and sanctify us through your word. I pray that you would encourage us and and bless us and uplift us and edify us through your word. God, we simply pray that we would be the recipients of your grace and mercy and the instruction of your word this morning. We pray for your will to be done. We pray that you are well pleased and honored. With all things that take place here this morning. And I pray. That as I preach and teach God. That it would be pleasing. And acceptable. In your sight. That we would rightly divide the word. Here this morning. For your glory alone. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. 
So that's the key there. We're not going to return to Isaiah 55. But do keep those thoughts very much in the forefront of your mind. God's word does not return void. As the rain comes and the snow comes and it waters the earth and it brings forth. So it is with God's word. God's word goes out and it does bring a harvest, so to speak. It brings many souls to salvation. But the flip side of that coin is one that often we don't talk about it. And I think one of the main reasons would simply be that it's not just speaking plainly. It's not enjoyable to talk about the flip side of that coin. On the one hand, we have the word of God going out and it calls many people. It draws many people to salvation. But on the other hand, we see that the word of God goes out and it falls on deaf ears at times. But furthermore, not only does it fall on deaf ears at times, some people hear the word of God and they and they begin to hate God with even a greater zeal. And they begin to turn against God with a greater zeal. And that comes as a result of actually hearing the truth. And so it isn't something that is enjoyable to talk about, it does it. It doesn't make us feel joyful or happy to consider that one of the responses to hearing the word of God is that not only do people turn aside from it, but they actually become more hardened towards the things of God. However, when we consider this truth that the word does not return void, what I want us to consider is that whoever hears the word of God, whether it be the gospel presented to them, maybe for the first or the 10,000th time they are hearing the gospel presented to them. Whether it be in a church building where the saints gather and the saints are listening to the preaching and teaching of God's word. When God's word goes out, it accomplishes something. There really is no such thing as an empty sermon. Well, that sermon did nothing. Well, if that sermon was the word of God going forth. If that preacher was was simply teaching and proclaiming the word, then it was no empty sermon. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as an empty gospel presentation. Well, the gospel was presented, but nothing really happened. Oh, just because you couldn't see that anything happened doesn't mean that nothing happened. The word of God does not return void. We must really believe that. We need to have a firm conviction of that, that the work of the word isn't measured by how many people were crying or how many people were uh, were responding physically or emotionally. We know that the word of God does its work regardless of what we can see with our eyes. And we must believe that we must have a firm conviction in that that God has promised his word does not return void. So consider just a few things. He spoke all of creation into existence. He spoke and creation obeyed. His word did not return void. He spoke it into existence. He called creation into existence. He calls the end from the beginning. He is able to, to talk about things that have not happened yet as, as if they've already happened. Why? Because he is God. He calls the end from the beginning. He calls men to salvation and he frees men out of their bondage to sin and slavery in the same way that he called his people out of Egypt. His word went forth. Let my people go. They are mine. And his word accomplished 
something. It accomplished that for which it was intended. And in the same way that he called his people out of Egypt, he continues to call men to salvation and calls them out of their captivity and slavery to sin. He speaks to his people. Now that sounds like a very oversimplified statement. Here's what I mean by this. God gives his word, meaning his written word. You can go to the Old Testament. God gave the commandments and the law to his people alone. God did not give the Ten Commandments to Egypt or to Assyria or to Babylon. God did not give his law to those people. God speaks to his people. There is a, there is a unique, special line of communication that only God's people enjoy. With their father. We consider this today. To be what we refer to as. Scripture. God's holy word. God's word is not, is not just a nickname for the Bible. Well you can call it the Bible or you can call it God's word. It's not just an interchangeable name. It's scripture is God's word. It is Holy. And that holy word does not return void. And so today we will look in particular at this one straightforward, simple fact that if you are a hearer of God's word, whether that be here today, of course, that's the most immediate context. But throughout your life, any time that you have heard the word of God in any capacity at home, when you are studying the word. It does not leave the listener or the hearer. It does not leave us in a neutral state. Right? It is accomplishing something. And again, I say we must have a firm conviction in that. God is always accomplishing His purpose through His Word. So, the same Word... That is life and treasure to some is foolishness and rubbish to others. You see both sides of the coin. Some people hear the word of God. They hear the gospel and they say that is my very life. And other people say that's a fairy tale. I'll never believe that. The same word that brings hope and rest to some is completely worthless to others. There's no hope in that. What do you mean that your soul finds rest? In God. That makes no sense to me. You believe in something that's worthless. But it's the same word. It's the same truth. The same word that calls men to salvation will harden others. It's simply true. We can hear a preacher preach what we would consider maybe the greatest evangelistic sermon of all time. And out of 500 people that may have heard that sermon, maybe 20 or 30 of them get saved. And the rest of them go home and say, well, that was nice. Or some go home and say, I never want to hear that again. I was curious about this Jesus Christ. I was curious about this gospel that I've heard people talk about. But if that's the best they've got, it does nothing for me. And I'm not interested. What makes the difference in the hearer. And for the sake of this sermon. And I think scripture. Paints this for us clearly. What makes the difference is. God. 
the Spirit of God. So we come to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 begins with the parable of the sower, but this is not a, a sermon where, we, where we're going to break down this parable. I actually want us to start in verse 10, and we're going to look at what Jesus tells the disciples about why he uses parables. What's the point? What's the purpose? And we're going to look at this under this, under this heading, under this key theme that God's word doesn't return void. The parables did something. The parables accomplished something. And Jesus here is going to tell the disciples, this is why I use parables. This is the whole point. And I want us to see clearly the reason and the importance of what is said here to the disciples. Verse 10 of Matthew 13. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Well who gives? God. If you do look up there at the, at the parable. The very last sentence of that parable. And Jesus said this often. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear. In verse 11 Jesus says. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, when I was younger and even still up through my high school and bleeding up into my college years. That particular section of scripture used to always make me scratch my head. Well, whoever has more will be given and he'll have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. What on earth does that mean? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. For whoever has more will be given him. Those that have ears to hear. That we hear the word of God and we grow in our wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And we have an abundance of the truth. Uh, an abundance of understanding. Scripturally speaking, to know God and to have wisdom is a treasure. Right? So we, those who have ears to hear, we have an abundance of the treasures of the wisdom of God. And that comes through the, the teaching of the word. Here it was coming in parables as Jesus is using these parables to those who have they will get understanding and they will be drawn closer to Christ and closer to the father through the word but to those who have not for those that do not have ears to hear even even what they have will be taken away from them what on earth could Jesus possibly be talking about who knew the word of God the scriptures Better than anybody in this day and age right here. Why it would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. And they would have claimed to have understanding. To know what these scriptures meant. But guess what? They were the very ones who saw their Messiah right in front of their face and said, You are not the Son of God. So it would seem that they didn't have any understanding at all. They didn't know what they thought they knew. 
So even what little bit they had, even what understanding they claimed to have was taken away from them. Because they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. But Jesus told the disciples, to you it has been given to understand the mysteries, to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them it has not been given. To understand the kingdom of heaven, to understand Christ and who he is, to understand the mysteries of God, it must be given. It is a gift. We do not simply wake up one morning after after studying the scriptures and hearing a million sermons and say, Ah, I have brought myself to an understanding of the scriptures. I have made myself to understand and to know the word of God. No. It is a merciful gift of God. The natural man does not understand the spiritual things of God. Huh. Well, I'm, I'm a natural man. I was, I was born. I've got flesh. Right? I'm a human being. So how in the world has God brought me to understand any of His Word? Through a gift. Through the working of the Spirit. Through giving me eyes to see and ears to hear. I have re- received this as a gift. We know that it is His work. If the natural man can't understand the spiritual things of God, then what must happen? Perhaps that man must be born again. So that he now has eyes to see and ears to hear. But just to kind of nail down this point, because I'm not, I'm going to do my best not to chase too many rabbits this morning. Those who know me well know that that's a very hard thing for me to not do. But to nail this down, I want us all to simply agree and to know, even to understand the things of God is a gift. Even to understand a parable is a gift. It has to be given to us. We don't just have a mind that can naturally comprehend the knowledge of God. The mysteries of Christ. It must be given to us. So now, if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, well, I'm a believer, I understand things. Please don't be arrogant in that. If you truly have any understanding of Scripture, it had to be given to you by God. So rather than boast about what we claim to know, we ought to be humbled. That God has even allowed us to understand even one verse of His Holy Word. We ought to be humbled by that. So Jesus says, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So here's this flip side of the coin that we, sometimes we don't, we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to bring it up. Well, if God is the giver... If God is the one who gives eyes to see and ears to hear, if God is the one who gives understanding of the parables, who gives understanding of His Word, is there ever a time where God, even if it's just for a moment, that God does not want His Word to be embraced and understood at that particular moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here we have Jesus plainly saying, to them it has not been given. Again, I'm not not saying that this is an easy portion of Scripture. I'm not saying that this is a portion of Scripture that we should sit back and say, 
Well, that makes me feel great. You know, that makes me feel wonderful. This is a portion of Scripture that should humble us. This should sober us up a little bit. Especially if we claim to be Christians. This should sober us up so that we understand anything that we truly possess that has to do with salvation, that has to do with the faith, that has to do with understanding Scripture, any of that is a merciful gift of God that He did not owe us. But yet He granted it to us anyway. Because He is God. And He is a gracious God. And He makes Himself known to His people. So whoever has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So now we come back to this little illustration. The Jewish people, the scribes and the Pharisees, did they see all of the same miracles that the disciples saw? Yeah. Did they hear all of the same parables that the, that the disciples heard? Yeah. So what gives? Right? What makes the distinction? Why did some people see the miracles, hear the word and believe and others saw the miracle, heard the word and rebelled and would not submit and wanted to crucify him? To you it has been given. To them it has not. And you say, Caleb, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I don't really like that point that you're making. I don't really, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how to process that right now. Can you, you know, maybe you could help us understand it a little bit better. I'll try. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. What was the will of the Father for the Son? Why did Christ come to this world at all? Why was He born? What was his purpose? What was the goal? What was to be the outcome of Christ? Well, what do we call him? Christ the Savior. Okay, so that was the will of the Father for the Son. That he would be a Savior for many people. That he would be the Savior for all who believe. And we know that in order for him to be the Savior, in order for him to redeem, he had to be crushed. Isaiah 53 tells us as much. You don't have to turn there. But if you were to read Isaiah 53, you would see that it was the will of the Father to crush the Son. By His stripes we are healed. We have been bought with a price. So consider this. It was the will of the Father for the Son to be crucified. If the Jewish people, if the scribes and Pharisees would have accepted Christ as Messiah, would he have ever been crucified? No. In order for the crucifixion to have taken place, there had to, be, there had to have been a group of people that wanted Jesus to be crucified. That wanted him to be killed. And so Christ comes even to his own brethren. But to them it had not been given. To understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And so they hear the word. They see the miracles. They, they see Christ. They hear his teachings. And they're hardened. And they rebel. And they want him dead. 
But in so doing, in wanting him dead, in wanting to crucify him, what are they actually doing? Fulfilling the will of God. And I use that as an example to see to see here that it was indeed the will of God for them not to understand and for them not to comprehend the mysteries of the kingdom and for them not to understand the parables. If we were to look at the 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 parallel passage of this in the gospel of Mark, it actually says that, you know, Jesus didn't speak to them without parables. But later when he was alone, he would explain and give understanding to the disciples. It was given to them to understand. Was given to them to understand. Verse 14, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. In this moment, in this particular moment, and as Jesus continued His earthly ministry, the parables and the teachings of Christ went out. And for those that had ears to hear... They heard and they received and they came to Christ and then they grew and they matured and they had ears to hear. And what they had, they increased and they had an abundance. That same earthly ministry, those same teachings of Jesus, those same miracles that he did during his earthly ministry were seen and heard by others. And they grew hardened. And they rebelled. And they didn't accept him. And they wanted him crucified. It was the same word. It was the same Christ. It was the same miracles that were being seen. And God's word accomplished its work. It did not return void. Many were brought to Christ in salvation. Many believed. And even still today, we know that many hear the gospel of Christ and believe and they're saved. And yet many more hear the gospel of Christ and they walk away and we say, well, they were unchanged. They were unmoved by the gospel. They were, nothing happened. They heard and, and they've just, they're just continuing to live their own life. And I would urge you to consider that no, they did not leave unchanged. They either left rebelling and more hardened or by God's grace, that seed was planted. And without them even, even knowing it, that seed is starting to do its work. And they will be brought to salvation. But God's word never returns void. God's word never leaves an individual unchanged. That's a myth. And so we see the purpose of the parables. We see here Jesus plainly saying 
It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Whoever has, to him more will be given. He'll have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Consider one last thing in Matthew. Matthew 19. Starting in verse 16. Matthew 19, verse 16. This is a passage I'm sure that all of us are very familiar with. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Is that not the same thing that he said to some young men that were fishermen? Follow me. And what did they do? They left their boats. They left all that they knew. And they followed him. A couple of them even left their daddy in the boat. Now we live in the south. You do stuff like that. People say that's disrespectful to your daddy. Don't you know who your daddy is boy? Don't you know you need to have respect for your parents? People get real upset about stuff like that here in the south. They left their daddy in the boat. See, that man over there said to follow him. And we believe that we ought to follow him. Bye. And that's really all that he's telling this young man here. Oh, you have kept the commandments? This one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. If we were to read through the parables that were there in Matthew uh, 13 and and 14, I believe. They bleed over into 14. Actually, I, we're already in Matthew. I'm going to do this. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm still going to do this. Yeah, this is a parable that's in that's in 13. Verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is this not simply what Jesus is telling this rich young ruler? Turn aside from all that you think that you have. All those riches, all of those possessions, cut ties with them and follow me. And if that rich young ruler really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is life, that he is the only one who can grant eternal life, I think that the rich young ruler probably would have been like those fishermen. Probably would have been like that tax collector that Jesus called. And he would have left all that he had known and followed Christ. But we know how that story ends. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He didn't follow Christ. But it was the same message. It was the same message that Jesus gave all. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Your life isn't to be found in the law. Your life isn't to be found in your riches and in your possessions. 
The kingdom is like a man who, who's looking for pearls. And when he has found the one pearl of great price, he sells all that he has to get that one. And there were some that abandoned all that they had ever known to follow him. But there were those, like this rich young ruler, that went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. So the question I pose to you this morning is, what made the difference? Who made the difference? Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. This is one of my personal favorite portions of Scripture. That doesn't mean it has to become one of your favorite portions of Scripture. I'm just sharing with you that this is this is one of my all-time favorite little sections of Scripture here. Because Paul, Paul says some very powerful things in just a short amount of space here. But again, I want us to consider... The word does not return void. And the word always accomplishes its work. I want us to look at it from one more angle and we'll be done. Remember that Jesus Christ, this is verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of change. So what Paul just said right there is, I am in chains. I am suffering persecution because I'm a preacher of the gospel. Because I preach the word, I'm suffering as I do. As an evildoer. Now, is it, there's nothing evil about preaching the gospel. There's nothing evil about being a preacher and teacher of the word. But Paul is saying, I'm suffering as an evildoer because of the gospel that I preach. But then he says this. The word of God is not chained. Paul's saying they can put me in a prison. They can put me in chains. But listen. Listen, Timothy. The word of God is not chained. And they can't chain it. The word of God is at work. The word of God accomplishes things. The word of God is not bound. The word of God cannot be chained down. They can put me in prison, but the word is already out there. It's already been proclaimed. It's already been preached. It's already been heralded to all who have ears to hear. The word has gone out. And if you've ever read the life of Paul and you thought, what kept Paul going? He was stoned and lived through it. And he didn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to need a few days to recover. He was stoned, lived through it, and then immediately got up, went to the next town and kept on preaching. Like, who in their right mind would do that, right? That's crazy. I would take some time to recover. He was falsely accused. He was persecuted. He was put put on trial. He was treated as an evildoer, even though he had done no evil. Now, in his previous life, we knew he had done a lot of evil. But as the, as the Apostle Paul, there was nothing that they could actually pin him with that he had actually done wrong. What kept him going? He, he was shipwrecked. He endured a lot. He was run out of town. He had to be hidden. What kept him going? Why didn't he just 
excuse me if this is a little too crass, but why didn't he just shut up, right? Listen, Paul, all you got to do is stop preaching the gospel and all these people will stop trying to hurt you. So why don't you just hush? Just stop. I would submit to you this morning is because Paul had a firm conviction that the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. They can stone me. I can get shipwrecked. They can persecute me. They can torture me. They can whip me. But they can do nothing to hinder the word of God. And therefore I endure. But Paul says, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, the word of God is not bound and it will bring many souls to salvation. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. The word of God goes out and there will be those who believe it. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd and they will follow him. They will not follow the voice of another. John 10. Jesus says, I have sheep that aren't of this fold. I must go and bring them in as well. They will listen to me. They will listen to me. Not they might. I hope they do. They will. Paul here, in a way, in my mind, is, is kind of echoing that. There are people everywhere of every tribe, tongue, and nation that when they hear the gospel, they will believe. They will say, that is the voice of my shepherd. That is the voice of my salvation. That is the good news unto me, and I believe. And Paul says, I endure. They can persecute me, they can trouble me, they can stone me, they can whip me with cords. But they can do nothing to hinder the word of God from going out and saving all who believe. Saving those that the Father gave to the Son. It can do nothing to hinder the word from doing its work. We must have that same conviction. We have way too many, we have way too many people. Let me be more specific than that. We have way too many professing Christians, professing Christians that trying to get them to talk about Jesus is almost like pulling teeth. Well, you know, that's just something that's personal to me. And I just I have a personal faith and that's just between me and God. I don't need to talk to other people about I don't want to be put. We come up with all these all these excuses that kind of sound good, right? I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to force Jesus on people. Really, at the end of the day, I think the real reason that we don't is just because we don't want to have to deal with anything that's even slightly related to persecution. We don't want people not to like us. Therefore, we don't bring stuff up that would cause them to say, I don't like talking to that person. And we know that unbelievers, those who have rejected the gospel, they don't like being reminded of the gospel. Typically, that's not a conversation they like to have. We know that people who talk about Christ a lot and share the gospel a lot, they start to get labeled, right? We have, we have lots of different nicknames. Oh, that, that person's kind of a holy roller. You know, they think they're holier than thou and they, they think they're better than everybody else. And they take that Jesus stuff real seriously. You know, they're, they're almost kind of like one of those Jesus freaks, you know, and 
We don't want to have to deal with that, right? We want to be accepted by the world. Oh, well, what? Huh? Scripture's got something in there to say that. To be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. There is a wide chasm fixed between those who would endure severe persecution and say that you cannot, you will not force me to stop speaking of Christ the Lord and Savior regardless of what you do to me. And even if you kill me, the word is still going to do its work. There is a wide chasm fixed between Christians who are there and Christians who are over here saying, well, I just don't like to bother people and I don't, you know, I just, I don't know what to say and I just, I don't want to be pushy with it and I don't. Wide chasm. Wide chasm. Furthermore, it's a biblical command to go and tell and to teach. It is a biblical command to stand for the truth. So the wide chasm fixed between those two is really simply this. Obedience to the word. Obedience to Christ. We call him Lord, but we're not willing to obey. That doesn't that doesn't make sense, right? What does the title Lord mean by default? He's the master. We're the servant. He's Lord. We're the slave. We're slaves to Christ. Oh, he's Lord. I know that he's Lord. I'm not I'm not much on actually doing the stuff that he says that I need to do. You know what scripture says about that? If anyone says that he loves the Lord but doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth isn't in him. Those aren't my words. That's scripture. 1 John chapter 2. Look it up. Test me on it. Hold me to it. If anyone says that he is of God but does not keep his, keep his word, keep his commandments, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. You can't be saved and not have the truth in you, folks. That's what that boils down to. That's what that boils down to. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is the last thing that I want us to look at. If the word of God does not return void, if the word is always accomplishing something, then what we who call ourselves Christians, we who profess to be Christians... What does it do for us, right? What should we look to the word for? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. All right, well, let's just, those three right there. Say, I'm a Christian. I need to grow. I need to be taught. I need sound doctrine. I need to be taught by the sound word of God. Oh, well, where do I go? The word of God. So it's profitable for doctrine so that we know what we believe and why we believe it. It's good for reproof and for correction. You say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really know what God has to say about this. I don't really know how I should respond to this. Or I've got a question about this. Or, you know, I've heard this and I've heard that and I've heard this. So I've heard three different things about this one teaching. 
You know, give me the correct teaching. Or if we know of another Christian, or perhaps we have been that Christian where we need to be corrected, where do we go? The Word. It, for instruction in righteousness. I'm saved. The life that I now live is Christ. It's not me, but it's Christ that lives within me. I want to be holy as He is holy. I want to live a life of righteousness. Where do I go? Where do I go to be instructed in righteousness? The Word. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be a, a strong Christian. Where do I go? Where do I go to be somebody who is prepared for every good work? The Word. The Word of God does not return void. The Word of God does not leave us in a neutral state. If we are able to hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, listen to sermons, see the Word of God, and our lives are unchanged. We don't heed. We do not obey the instruction of God, the reproof of God, the correction of God, the, the truth of God. Then we ought to have... We ought to see no reason why we should call ourselves a Christian at all. And I know, I know that you. Oh, that's harsh. That's a really that's a that's a tough line to draw. That's a really. I would rather I would rather be a little bit harsh, and be blunt and upfront, than to pat everybody on the back and say, "Hey, we're all doing a great job and everything's fine and hunky dory." Consider this: if we call ourselves Christians, but we come before the Word of God, we study the Word, we hear sermons from the Word. We hear the sound doctrine of Scripture, but our lives are unchanged. We do not heed the instruction. We do not obey the Word. Then we ought to have no reason to consider ourselves a Christian at all. The one who hears His words and does not obey them is like a man who built his house upon the what? And when the storms came... And the winds blew. What happened to that house? It came down. But the one who hears and obeys and does is like the man who built his house upon the... And the storms came and the winds blew and the house stood. Y'all won't say it, I'll say it. Amen. Amen. Let him who, names the, who claims the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Again, I'll, I'll reference 1 John chapter 2. If anyone says that he is of God or loves God and does not obey His commandments, he's a liar. If we can come day in and day out, week in and week out, if we come before the Word of God and our lives are not changed. Now, I get it. It's a really easy thing. We can come to a church service and say, oh, that was good. That gave me some stuff to think about. That was good. I needed that today. But then the next day and the next day and the next day, our lives aren't changed. We're not actually putting it into practice. We're not obeying the Word. Then we don't actually believe He's Lord. That's what's at stake, right? If we believe that Jesus really is who He says He is, then I hope we would all agree He's worthy to be obeyed. Amen? If we believe that God is who He says He is, and furthermore, if we claim that God when He ought to have poured out His wrath upon us, 
poured it out upon Christ instead so that we may live. He's worthy to be obeyed, right? If we really believe that, we'd live like it. We'd live like it. Work out your own salvation. Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If we're going to sit here and claim God has saved me, He has put His Spirit within me, God is doing a work in me, and He will finish that work that He has started, doesn't it make sense that the lives that we live ought to be living proof of that? That we're working out our own salvation that we claim we have? That we're producing fruits of the Spirit? That we're walking as obedient sons? As obedient children, we are called to be holy as He is holy. Well, obedient children. He has saved us. We are His. We are to be obedient. Now, our salvation does not rest in the obedience. Our salvation rests by grace alone through faith alone. But if we really have been saved, there will be a desire within us to obey. And the Word doesn't return void. To those that have, to those who truly understand, more will be given to them and they'll have an abundance. And they will grow and they will mature as Christians. But to those who have not, to, to those who do not truly have ears to see and I, or ears to hear and eyes to see, even what little bit they have, it'll be taken from them. And they'll drift and they'll become hardened. So what does this mean for us today? Today, in this service, as a result of this sermon, the word has gone out. You will not be left in a neutral position. How will you respond to this message today? For the unsaved, will you repent and believe today? Will you turn from your sin? And find Christ to be that perfect Savior. The only mediator between God and man. For the believer, for the professing believer, will you truly believe and obey His Word today? If there's sin in your life, will you, will you turn from it? Will you lay aside that sin which so easily besets you? Will you turn aside from that sin that weighs you down? Will you be obedient to the word? Will you be taught by the word? Will you be instructed by the word? Or will you try to rebel against it and say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he's Savior, but I just don't like that stuff we talked about today. And I'm not. There's nothing I need to do about it. And will you become hardened? Will you turn aside from the sincere milk of the word rather than growing? By the sincere milk of the word. I'm going to bring up a few things that I think are applicable at all times because we're human. And I think I think all of us struggle with stuff like this. I've already mentioned the first one. Will we will we will we repent of sin that maybe we've personally been struggling with? Will we ask for forgiveness if we need to ask for forgiveness? 
that's something I think just about 99.9% of people that you talk to, if you have a long enough conversation with them, you'll find out that they're probably upset with somebody else or somebody else is probably upset with them. And they're still carrying it or that other person's still carrying it. Will we ask for forgiveness? Will we give forgiveness? If we need to, if we need to be the ones to give forgiveness? Will we love one another as we are called to love one another? Jesus himself prayed to the Father in John 17. Father, may they be one even as we are one. We're told in scripture by this, by this they will know that you are of God by your love for one another. We are to be a people that loves one another deeply. With a pure love, with the love of God. Forgiving as Christ forgives. Loving as Christ loves. Being merciful and patient and long-suffering. Will we love one another like that? Will we turn aside from, from bitterness or from malice or from unforgiveness? Will we turn aside from those things and seek to honor God and how we love one another and how we care for one another? The last thing to mention is simply this, because it covers everything. I mentioned it a second ago. I'll mention it again as we close. We claim to be Christians. We know that the word of God does not return void. What fruit is the word producing in your life? Is it fruits of obedience? Fruits of maturity and spiritual growth? Are you growing in your knowledge and wisdom of Christ and of God's word? Or when you hear the gospel, when you hear the word preached, do you come up with reasons not to heed the instruction? Do you come up with reasons to believe, well, that wasn't really for me, but I hope so-and-so was listening today because they really needed to hear that. When you hear the word preached, when you study the word at home, do you think, well, that really didn't do anything for me? I didn't really get a whole lot out of that, but it was good to hear the word. My friend, if that's you and you have those thoughts, I submit to you this morning, you're already in a hardened state. Repent. And turn to Christ. Be broken over your sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Weep. Cry out to God that you would heed the instruction of the word, that you would have a desire to be obedient to the word. Because I'm not talking to people here that I'm that I believe would claim to be unsaved. I believe everybody here would claim to I'm a Christian, but I know it. We're human. We've all been there. If we're able to come before the word and, and we feel as if I'm unchanged, I'm telling you this morning, you're not unchanged. You're either growing in your wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who He is and knowledge and understanding of the Word or you're regressing. And you're developing patterns that will lead to hardness. Think, I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to be obedient to that. I can, I can turn aside. I can do my own thing. Repent. And I say that with the utmost confidence that for those who are truly saved, the Spirit of God 
will lead to brokenness over sin. He will lead us to repentance and restoration and reconciliation. And for the unsaved, even for the one who makes a profession of faith, but they still yet are really unsaved. If they seek God while he may be found, they will find him. And if they seek Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they will find him to be a perfect and a complete and a full savior. The word of God does not return void. And we praise him for that. And we pray that his word has surely accomplished its work this morning and every single day of our lives. Let's close in a word of prayer.